Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. All right, welcome everybody once again to Fried, the burnout podcast. Today, my guest is Erin Elizabeth Wells, who is known as the intentionality expert, and she's the founder of Chosen Course, which works with location-independent entrepreneurs to stop the borderline burnout, 24-7 overworking hustle, and start creating leveraged, scalable business and productivity systems so they can enjoy their freedom-loving lifestyle. She is the author of Inspired Action, Create more purpose, productivity, and peace in your life. She's also a graduate of Harvard Divinity School with a Master's of Divinity degree. She is a certified professional organizer and a certified practitioner of NLP, which is neurolinguistic programming. Erin, her husband, and her toddler daughter are now full-time digital nomads exploring and loving our beautiful world. Erin, Thank you so much for being here. I love that you're a digital nomad. I just spent 12 years in Europe. I just got back to the United States after 12 years in Europe. So um, I'm excited to explore those ideas with you. I'm just so grateful for, for you being here. Hey, I am thrilled and delighted to be here and chatting with you and, uh, you know, hoping people get some great pieces out of our conversation. Me too. So why don't we start out by giving you some space to tell your story about your own personal burnout? What happened with you? You know, what what was what was the scoop? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, for me, my burnout happened fairly early in my personal entrepreneurial journey. So I started my first business in 2003, when I was still in divinity school at Harvard. And it grew out of, you know, one of those kind of classic realizations. I had this set of skills that not everyone had, and there might be people who would pay me to help them. (laughs) And that was the beginning of my professional organizing company, and uh, which was uh, called Living Peace. And it's predominantly or almost uh, primarily worked with residential clients, basically people in their homes helping them to become more organized, more effective. Most people are these days are very familiar with Marie Kondo. Basically, I was doing the Marie Kondo stuff before anybody had ever heard of Marie Kondo. So uh, that was what we did was, uh, you know, help people create systems in their homes that managed all the stuff. So that started in 2003. I loved it. I was so passionate. It was so amazing. It was such rewarding work and valuable work and all of these things. And as the first few years of the business happened, you know, I was fully embracing my passion and joy for it. I got to the end of my divinity school career. I graduated from Harvard in 2005 and I stepped into my business full time. And what that essentially meant was I got into this phase where from the moment I woke up in the morning to the moment I went to sleep at night, which was sometimes like midnight, 1 a.m., I was working on the business. And sometimes it was client work and sometimes it was business building and some, it, was, it, you know, it was all the things one does as an entrepreneur. And I had this idea for this particular service that I wanted to launch. And I'd been doing this work. I'd been building the business for two years at that point. I thought of this really awesome service concept. And I told myself, okay, it's September. I want to be able to launch this by January. And I threw everything I had at it. And let's just say I treated it like I was back in finals period. Do you, you, you know what I'm talking about, Caitlin? Yes. Like you're, you're in finals period in, in co- you know, college or grad school or high school, whenever. And it's like you're throwing 
all the energy you have all the time. It's the, the late nights, the pushing it hard. But then it's it a, ends. And yeah, the problem is that in, in school, you do it for like two, three weeks, right? Yep. Well, I tried to keep that up for about four months. Right. Needless to say, it resulted in uh, Thanksgiving Day, me at my then boyfriend's house, melting down into a fetal position, sobbing puddle on the floor. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was, it was abs- like the idea of having to talk to, you know, 20 fairly unknown strangers you know, all of his family, et cetera, because it was being hosted at his, at his home, just completely overwhelmed me emotionally. Yeah. And so I, I fled. I quite literally fled. And I grabbed my things and my car keys and I zoomed out of there and drove to the nearest hotel <laughs> and checked myself in and just sobbed for about two days straight. And that was when I realized that what I had been doing was entirely self-inflicted and was an an emotional burnout. I just was asking too much of myself. So that was my first like hardcore experience of burnout. And it was entirely self-created. And it was from that experience that I gathered so many lessons that I'm sure we'll get to play with and talk about today. But there, that was my first and biggest story of, of specifically emotional burnout. Yeah. And when I was reading your um, personal breakdown story that you sent um, before we started talking, I, I read this, this paragraph and you mentioned it already, but I want to use the words that you used here because it really paints quite the picture. And What I want to say before I read this is for you guys listening, there is something about labeling yourself as quote unquote crazy when you're in an emotional burnout situation that because your reactions are inadequate to the situation at hand, like uh, they're, they're not inadequate. They are, you know, totally overblowing the situation at hand. And a lot of times I've had people tell me over the years that they knew that their reaction was too big, but that's, how they felt. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to realize that in those moments where you know logically that the situation does not call for the level of emotional reaction that you are experiencing, you might need to give yourself a stop, wait a minute, figure out what's going, what's going on. So I'm going to read this because I I want people to have this picture and I think you, you wrote it really well. (laughs) Thank you. That November, I was supposed to be with my boyfriend and his family in Vermont. I drove up the day before, slept horribly, and by the next morning, I was a wreck. I was curled up, sobbing, in fetal position on the floor. I had been working virtually nonstop for months, and now I was supposed to turn on the charm and be social with 20 people from his extended family. This inherent introvert was tapped out. I was toast, full meltdown mode. Yep. That's... That was a, you know, that is the vivid way that I was able to to describe it before. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think is, is key in there is I really am at heart an introvert. You know, people, I sometimes, people have heard the term ambivert. I can wander back and forth, but really I get my energy from my time alone. Right. And so... that's why that became the linchpin moment for me because here I was with no emotional bandwidth left and suddenly I had to figure out how to find enough energy to be social, just simply social. I mean, you know, literally you're just going in and chatting with people and some of whom I knew, some of whom I didn't know well, but that was, it was just too much. I had nothing left. Yeah. And And the other thing I think is really important about this is that you loved this job. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I loved it. I continued to run that business and build that business for another 12. Yeah. I was told it was 10 years after that. So 12 years total that I ran that company before I sold it. And you know, it was an absolute passion, which is part of how I ended up in that situation. 
And it was needing to just completely change my strategy behind how I leveraged that passion yes. and used my energy appropriately, used my emotional energy and my mental energy appropriately so that I could continue to run it for the following 10 years. Yeah. And what I've noticed in the conversations that I've had so far is that every single person that I've talked to was working in something that they were passionate about. And there's this overlying message existent in the world today that says, if you find your passion, you'll never feel like you're working and, you know, life will be, (laughs) I know, right. And life (laughs) will be this like, you know, magical rainbow that will float you everywhere you need to go. And one, I think that that message that's so prominent on social media today and in positive thinking, the world of positive thinking today, I think that message is behind a lot of burnout. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's, it was actually interesting because I was, the universe was setting me up for our conversation today, Caitlin, because um, I was talking to my client earlier today who is having kind of one of those like first, you know, the first yellow flags that burnout is on his horizon as well. And part of the conversation he and I were having and part of what I think is so key that, that, you know, the people listening to this might really appreciate is when we're passionate about our business, a lot of times we feel like it's an on off switch where it's like, we're either all the way on or we're all the way off. And those are our only two options. And I, I want to really give people some flexibility here because what if we uninstalled that on-off switch and instead plugged in a dial? Because I feel like that is there's a huge value in replacing that metaphor and really allowing ourselves to have a range of engagement and a range of energy usage where it's like if you're in the middle of a massive launch – yeah, that might be dialed way up, but it doesn't need to be dialed up way up all the time, every day from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night. That was the, the pitfall I fell into. You know, it's having the ability to dial it down, to dial it back, not turn it off, yeah. but dial it back and to really kind of give ourselves permission and demonstrate to ourselves that we can, that that's a possibility, that that's, and then what would that look like in your specific life, I think is a hugely powerful tool. Yes, I totally agree with you. And I really love, um, you, you talk about this in that post where you talk about your breakdown um, as well. And you use a very specific word that I would like to talk about for a second, because it is a word that I have used consistently in my acupuncture practice since the day I started it in 2007 with mm-hmm. nearly every single one of my patients, because <laughs> I think the embodiment of this word saves people. Mm. You say, however, there's something else I think most entrepreneurs aren't told, but desperately need to hear. You also need some grace. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Just reading it makes me breathe deeper. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's one of those words that sometimes, you know, it's used in so many other contexts, but it is so powerful here. Yeah. But when we give ourselves permission to have more grace, grace in our day, grace in our lives, and, you know, it, it embodies a lot of meanings. But for me, it is about it, you know, it's not necessarily a, a spiritual word. It doesn't have to be a spiritual word. It can just be about ease. And, you know, I often think about gracefulness, you know, like a, like a dancer who is dancing through a day with a level of grace. And I think that that's, you know, yet another kind of beautiful metaphor where that, that I've used a lot in my work around, you know, finding your rhythm and allowing for some days to be, you know, a really fast Latin salsa and some days to be, you know, a really flowing, um, you know, utterly graceful slow dance. Right. And, you know, the fact that we can change rhythm from one day to the next, from one week to the next, from one season to the next. And, yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's finding, finding that beautiful space and, and what's the right, the right rhythm with the right level of grace <laughs> on uh, on everyday basis. And I think what's important is not only that we can change the rhythm, but that the rhythm changes and we still need to dance. Mm-hmm. Whether well, we still you can choose to dance. Yeah, we can choose to dance, but we can we can choose to change the rhythm. Sometimes the rhythm is also changed for us and we have to decide whether we're going to get up with that partner or not. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that's, that's really where I would kind of push it even further because I really do believe that we have a lot more choice than we give ourselves permission to recognize. You remember going to school dances when we were, you know, little kids and you're high school or middle school or whatever, and the song would change and it wouldn't be your favorite song. And you just go over and sit out and hang out with your friends instead. Yes. And I think that there are times, even as an adult, where something just shifted in your world. And if you take that half a heartbeat to decide, is this a dance I want to do? Or is this something where it's like, you know what? Not my game. I'm just going to yeah. sit this one out. Someone else can take control of this one. This doesn't need to be my, my moment or my opportunity. I don't need to pursue this opportunity. Even though it's right here on my doorstep, this, is, this one's going to be too much for my plate right now. And it may mean that I need to just say no to it entirely. It may mean that I need to say, I love this concept, but not right now. Let me talk to you in six months. You know, whatever it is. But, but giving ourselves that half a heartbeat, that half a day sometimes, where you choose, does this belong in my world right now? And thereby ensure that you're not overloading yourself, you know, pushing yourself too much just because it showed up doesn't mean you have to say yes to it. Yeah. And I think what I'm thinking about right now are the moments that are pushed into your life that you, you have to dance with. For instance, I ruptured my Achilles recently and had to have surgery. Mm -hmm. I am a very active person. I do a lot of exercise and now I'm in this, uh, I'm in a very slow dance. I'm in a very slow one-legged dance at the moment. (laughs) And and one of the things that I'm going to preface this a little bit, I'm going to go backwards and, and start again, because one of the things that I noticed when I was doing research on burnout is that sometimes burnout is an internal thing and sometimes it's an external thing. Sometimes mm. it is our reaction to a situation and sometimes it's just a really shitty situation mm-hmm. and how we are able to deal with those things is often dependent on the programming that we got as children that has nothing to do with us and people that have more oppression and more abuse and more difficulty and more abandonment mm. have more hurdles to jump over and are differently affected by different situations. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it doesn't feel like you're choosing the dance And sometimes for some people, until they're able to clear a few hurdles and restructure their brains, literally, literally change the structure of their brains by doing some deep therapy or some really great coaching work or some limiting belief work, Mm. they're, they're stuck in a dance that they don't feel like they chose and don't know how to get out of and or they got thrown into a dance that they have to dance for a particular amount of time. I'm on this one leg right now. Yeah, I I hear you completely, Caitlin. And I I can also completely empathize with that because I had a very similar situation. I had to have emergency gallbladder surgery. Then went utterly sideways. And what should have been a one-day inpatient, like like outpatient procedure turned into three weeks of repeated follow-up processes and a three-month recovery. Right. So how do we find the grace there? By giving ourselves permission to decommit from the other things we thought that season was going to be about. Yes. And that was exactly what I had to do. I was literally coming off of my maternity leave. I thought that I was going to start ramping up my business and start getting back into my client work. I mean, I I was. I was ramping up my business and getting back into my client work. And then this happened. Yeah. And I had to give myself permission that 
this season just wasn't going to be about that. That needed to wait another three months. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Did that make it easy? Heck no. (laughs) Hell to the freaking no. Because the reality was like, I mean, financially, it was hard for our family for a little while there. It was like, we were starting to get my income back again. Like we were planning for, you know, honestly, we were planning for like a four month maternity leave, which turned into six months. And then you add another three for this recovery. And so it was, you know, it, it hurt. And there was no other choice. Right. There just, there was no other choice. And so that's, you know, I acknowledge your, there are moments when it feels like the choice is being taken away, but here's, here's what I'm going to bring you back. There's a, there's a wonderful quote that I have always loved and I'm probably not going to get it exact, but I will get it pretty close um, from Victor Frankl. And I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. of psychologist Victor Frankl. He wrote yeah. a man's search for meaning for anyone yes. who maybe is not familiar. It was a book that was given to me to read in the waiting room while I was at the hospital with my Achilles. <laughs> there no you joke. go. <laughs> there you go. Well, then it's perfect that it's, ha- it's yeah. coming up in this moment. And, and, you know, Victor Frankl, for people who don't know him, was a Holocaust survivor. I mean, here is someone who did not choose this. Exactly. And managed to use it to to really create powerful and inspiring work having survived and the the quote that i'm specifically remembering is between stimulus and response there is a space yeah and in that space lies all of our power and freedom to choose And that, I mean, I first came across that quote when I was in my early 20s and, you know, goodness, that's like, yeah, 20, almost 20 years ago now. And it has been one of the most powerful tools to use in those moments because you didn't choose to have your Achilles get ruptured. That's not something you ever would have chosen. I didn't choose to have this massively problematic gallstone and gallbladder incident But that was what showed up. And what we do have the ability to choose is our response. And I really believe that this is one of the biggest things that we can do to avoid burnout. I agree. Is to to give ourselves the ability to increase that space. Because if the stimulus, the event happens, and our immediate knee-jerk reaction response is to be pissed off and upset and overwhelmed and all of these nasty, you know, you go through that for a half a minute and then you say, okay, now what? Because it's not that those emotions aren't legitimate and aren't necessary and aren't appropriate. They're completely appropriate. It really freaking sucks to have things like that show up. Fair, utterly fair. Yeah. And then what? Because if you just hang out there, who's that helping? (laughs) Exactly. And so there's, I think that there's a fine balance between, so the grace for me in this situation was giving myself, I gave myself two or three days to sort of kind of be bummed. Yeah, sure thing. You know, a couple of, I gave, I gave myself a couple of days because just like you said, you were just about to get back into your work and you were depending on the income coming in. Um, I'm just moving back to the United States. I'm about to get my New York acupuncture license and I was about to start a job mm-hmm. in a new acupuncture practice and I can't stand up. Yeah. You know, That's it's, it's make it hard. To Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It has to wait. There's no other option. Yep. And the grace for me, allowing myself grace in that, in that space was allowing myself the space to, um, I call it like sit in the mud to sit in the mud for a few days yeah. and then get up and wash myself off and say, okay, well, what are you going to do instead? And I've been, planning on a second season of the podcast since the last season ended, but have not had the time to start it or think about it because I've been busy moving internationally. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden time. Yeah. And space. You have space and time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's one of those things that it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I have to say kudos to you for recognizing it in the moment and leveraging it appropriately. Often what I find with my clients and and in my own work, it's easy to see how something that was a big downer at the time retrospectively 
offers you an opportunity that you're like, oh, okay, this needed to happen so that yeah. I would X, Y, Z, whatever the other thing is. You yeah. know, I, I, often, <laughs> I often joke for a while because, you know, here's another great example. When I was a child, uh, I was about two years old, and my mother went on a vacation and had a massive uh, emergency, you know, had a massive injury accident that resulted in her dislocating her knee. And, you know, on the surface that sucks, but what was particularly awful is she ended up then contracting a very rare disorder called RSD that essentially is a neurological disorder that short version is eats away all of the muscle of your of your leg. (laughs) Okay. So she was quite literally on crutches for three years of my childhood and they didn't think she was going to walk again. That was what she was told at the time. Now I can tell you, she absolutely did walk again, has walked, took her 20 some odd years of PT. Wow. But now she, you know, she's climbed mountains in, uh, in, England and traveled more countries of the world than I can possibly list for you here. You know, she's, she's a beautiful recovery story for someone who, you know, had a really nasty thing happen. But one of the things that she and I talked about as adults years later was how sometimes those events happen in our lives. They're almost what I refer to as a universal clue by four. (laughs) It's like the universe needed to thwack you upside the head and force you to slow down. And she realized that that was true of her at the time. And, you know, I, I know that I've had this happen a couple times in my own life where it's like, you know, you were just moving so freaking fast that the universe was trying to nudge you and say, hey, hey, you might need to slow down a little bit here. You're going to burn out. I'm busy. (laughs) Yeah. And you just keep dismissing it. So it's like, it was like tapping you on the shoulder and you dismissed it. And then it was like nudging you and you dismissed it. And finally there comes this point where it will literally whack you. (laughs) And then it will say, no, 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 we're serious. You need to slow down. Yeah. And sometimes I think those events are essentially that universe's way of saying, no, really we're serious. You got to just take a time out right here. It's time for a gear shift, folks. Time for a gear shift, exactly. Yeah, so that, that was awesome. I love that conversation. I want to switch a little bit um, because your job went from organizing people's homes and in, in created into something else, which is very similar, but a little bit different and more in line with, with who you are. So can you tell us about the journey going into, into what you're doing now? Because it's really interesting. Absolutely, Caitlin, no problem. So yeah, so I started out doing what I refer to as the tangible organizing, actually going physically into people's environments and sorting through the stuff. And Marie Kondoing. And Marie Kondoing, as, as people nowadays yeah. would recognize it. You know, so you're actually, uh, you know, getting dirty, getting messy, helping physically move all of the things around the garages and the basements and the kitchens and the kids' rooms and the whole thing. And I grew that business to the point where I was no longer doing the hands-on. I actually had a team of organizers who were working for me. And uh, I loved my team. And it was around that period of time that I started to discover and realize that my personal passions were shifting. And I was becoming more and more interested in what I now refer to as the intangible organizing, where it's the organizing around the flow of information the decision-making, the priority setting, how we handle uh, our tasks and our time and our emails and our uh, information processes. And that was when I started getting much more focused on doing, you know, what most people would recognize as productivity work. Right. So, Initially, I I basically started a whole second company, and for several years, I ran both brands, both divisions, side by side. So Living Peace was my residential organizing business, and my now business, Chosen Course, 
was my productivity business, you know, kind of brand. And initially, I did that work uh, predominantly with corporations. I was doing a lot of corporate consulting, a lot of corporate training, uh, working with C-level executives for, you know, Fortune 500 companies and helping them with their personal productivity strategies. And I did that for about four years. And I mean, I loved my clients. We, <laughs> we had a wonderful time and it was great. And I realized that I really missed working with entrepreneurs. Right. I just love working with people who have a genuine passion for what it is that they are creating in the world. Yeah. And that, you know, just getting the chance to help them make that easier, make that, you know, able to grow, make that really sustainable. And, you know, part of it is about helping them to avoid burnout, helping them to make sure that they have the systems and the processes and the strategies baked in, built into the business so that they don't burn themselves out. And I will say, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second, because I will say that if there is anybody listening that feels like they need that kind of productivity training, can you please go read Erin's blog? Because, oh my God, she has more blogs about organization than I I read the blogs and the the posts. I was looking through them before I read the story. And Mm. so I didn't realize that you had started as um, a tangible, like you said, a tangible organizer. Tangible organizer, yeah. I didn't realize you started that way. And it made, as soon as I read it, I was like, well, obviously. (laughs) The the way that it is set up and the information that it is available just simply with your blog, never mind with the services you offer, but just simply with your blog, I mean, I'm pretty sure that people could use only that. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you found that much value. And obviously that's that you know, just makes my heart feel wonderful. It is, it is huge. So I, I just want people to know that I will be putting that in the show notes for, for everybody, the link to the website with the blog on it. And, and if you are somebody that's interested in productivity and you need a little bit of help with organizing and this, there's, I haven't seen a better resource to be honest. Oh, Caitlin, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. You are very welcome. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's always my intention. I mean, we put out a new blog post every week. Now with our, our jump to being digital nomads, and we can go down that, that path if yes. you'd like, um, you know, I, I now once a month, I include one of our blog posts is basically an update on what we've been up to in our digital nomad journey. But all of the other posts in any given month are really around productivity and business strategies. And, you know, specifically around how to ensure that you are building a sustainable business and a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, and they're jam-packed and cover everything. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm. It matters so much to me that I make sure that they really are actionable. Yeah. That you know, everything that I write is something that you can immediately take with you and do something with, and know exactly you know what are your next steps. How do you move this forward? Um, and that was true of my book. You know, my book yep. was written in a very similar kind of manner. And, uh, you know, I just, I think that that's really such a, a, a valuable kind of resource. It is. It's for amazing. People. So I wrote, I, the note that I wrote to myself for while we were talking was has an amazing blog with clear, actionable, informative info. Super helpful. That's the exact thing. that I wrote <laughs> Well, that is amazing and wonderful. And thank you so much. And yeah, I, people should thank definitely you. dive in. Yes. And, yes, and absolutely. And I, you know, we've got a bunch of great e-guides as well, you know, uh, the, the one that I, I've been just recently launched is, is called Your Freedom Map. And it's basically all around helping the entrepreneur to get really clear on do they know what their business processes are? Because part of the solution, in my opinion, or part of the road to avoiding burnout is to make sure that we're not unintentionally overworking ourselves. You know, and a lot of times when entrepreneurs, you know, you start a business and you do a lot of flying by the seat of your pants and figuring it out as you go. And there's a point at which that's just kind of necessary. But there's there's a, a tipping point somewhere after you've been in business for a little while where flying by the seat of your pants just don't work no more. <laughs> you, know, you need to hire somebody. 
Uh, well, it's so you need to hire somebody. You need to make sure that that what you do know is clear. There are checklists and documentation. You're not making yourself do the same thinking over and over and over again. Yeah, and when you want to be able to train somebody, you have to tell them clearly what they you need them to do. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so that's so a lot of my work these days is specifically around helping what, what I refer to as location-independent entrepreneurs. That's sometimes digital nomads like us. Right. Sometimes it's people who just, they want to be able to work from different places, but they still have a home base wherever. Right. Um, so I, I work predominantly with that subset of the population of entrepreneurs who are looking for ways to have productivity strategies because what, what a lot of people don't realize is some productivity strategies are utterly universal and some things with that lifestyle in particular have to change. It's a unique set of circumstances. And if you've never experienced it or never lived it, it's just never been relevant to you. Yeah. But when you're in it, then you realize that, you know, strategies that other people use for how they set up their office to help, you know, get them in the mode to work, just, you know, they don't fly when your office changes every month or so, or every two or three months. That's a different so dance. It's a different dance. And, you know, finding the right strategies in those kinds of contexts and circumstances has become now my, like, utter passion. So Which that's super cool. That's kind of the, the, the end in the last chapter of brings us up to date with current reality right. of, uh, you know, helping people to really find strategies that fit and that allow them to maximize what I like to refer to as the freedom loving lifestyle of the location independent or digital nomad entrepreneur. Right. And, and what this leads us to now is the thing that when you, when I was asking people to be guests on the show and you mentioned this idea, I said, oh, I need to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> and this is related to the location independent entrepreneurs. And you talk about the burnout brothers. I was calling them today before I spoke to you, I was calling them the burnout triplets because there are, <laughs> there are three of them. Um, and you, you talk about three different sort of levels and, and spaces of burnout. One of them is emotional, another one is business, and another one is travel. So take us through that, please. Sure thing. So honestly, it's funny that the concept of the Burnout Brothers is something that I, I really just started exploring and playing with and talking about and teaching just a lot more in this last six months or so. I'll amend this or I'll, I'll preface this by saying we became a digital nomad family in October of 2018. So okay. we're now eight months into this lifestyle. Now we've been running, we've been functioning as location independent for about four years, but we literally, you know, the classic, we sold everything we owned. <laughs> we have one tiny little storage area back in Massachusetts, but basically everything we own fits in our Mazda sedan car <laughs> the moment, my husband works remotely for a corporation. And so we are restricted to stay within the United States. But, um, you know, the, the plan, as you know, I mentioned before, rebuilding my business post maternity leave, etc. The plan is to eventually retire him from that corporate job, and being able to, to go truly international. But let's talk about the burnout brothers. And it was essentially this realization that I had looking back on my own experience of both business and travel, et cetera, and researching what's going on in the community of digital nomads and location-independent entrepreneurs, I told you my story of emotional burnout. Right. And that's what I would call that. I didn't burn out in the business. I loved my business. I still loved the business for years after that. I didn't handle my energy and my emotions well enough, and therefore I emotionally burned out. Now, another example of what happens is what I refer to as business burnout. Now, I, I have also experienced this, but not it wasn't as dramatic a story. Business burnout is more about you have been building a particular business and you get to a point in time at which your passion for that set of services, your passion for that piece of work in the world has diminished. And for some people, it falls off a cliff. <laughs> it's, you know, you literally are like, I can't stand this anymore. I just don't want to be anywhere near this work anymore. I've heard of people, and this isn't business specific, although it can be, of, you know, they, they built a childcare business 
And after X years of running that daycare, they can't stand taking care of kids anymore. Like the passion for it's just gone. Well, and it's what you said earlier when you were talking about shifting away from the the living piece was my personal passion started shifting. Started shifting, right, exactly. And that was essentially what led me to selling that company. So in 2015, I sold my original brand, my original company to a colleague um, who I respected and admired and the business still runs. And in fact, most of the same employees that were working for me when I sold the company in 2015 are still working for her. And I think that's another measure of a, of a really successfully built business is can it be sold? And can it continue to survive without you at the helm? And so that was my story of I, I burned out on delivering the services much earlier than I actually sold the business. But part of what inspired me to sell it was realizing that there came a point, you know, after I had started building Chosen Course, when I was running them simultaneously to each other, at which I was holding living peace back because my passion for it had waned. To be quite honest, they were holding me back because I still had these responsibilities to that team, to those customers, to, you know, to those clients and, you know, to everything I had built over 12 years. And that was the moment when I realized that the best thing I could do both for me and for the team and the clients uh, of that brand was to sell it, was to pass the leadership on to somebody else. That was, that was my personal story of, of what you could refer to as business burnout. I, I basically just realized I had run, run the course on that particular journey yep. and it was time for me to hand it off and recommit to my newer work. So emotional burnout, business burnout, those are the first two of the brothers. And then the one that's particularly relevant for the digital nomad community and to some degree for the location independent community is travel burnout. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> this comes up a lot in digital nomad communities where people talk about, well, I've, I've been traveling the world for the last year and I've gone to 50 different countries yeah. and I've, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank here of all of these amazing things that they have, have you know, done because they've been what's often referred to as fast traveling. And now I'm just, all I want to do is sit on my couch. I'm in Thailand and it's gorgeous, but all I want to do is sit on my couch. Europeans (laughs) call this American style traveling. (laughs) There we go. Exactly. And it's, you know, I I do know that there are a lot of people in other parts of the world. I've heard of certain number of of Latin Americans as another example. Um, This isn't just a a U.S. thing, but, uh, you know, sometimes we get this vision of what we think nomad life is supposed to look like where you're changing locations and countries every day, every week, you know, even every month. And it's exhausting. Yeah. It is hugely exhausting. And you, and, and I've heard so many stories of travel burnout and I do have my own little story of this as well. When I was, I spent my junior year abroad Mm -hmm. in Ireland Mm -hmm. and I was there for 10 months and following that 10 months, I spent four months fast traveling around 18 countries of Europe. And somewhere near the end of month three, I travel burned out. Yep. Like I, there just came a point in time. I remember I was in Denmark. It was Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was done. <laughs> and all I wanted to do was sit on the porch of my, uh, my little B&B that I was staying at. And read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got, I had nothing left in me to, you know, go out and see this and see that and whatever. I just needed some time. And, you know, unfortunately, I already had a whole nother month of travel planned. And I, you know, I did continue on and I went through it. And I still got to see beautiful things in that, that following month. But it was my own taste of what travel burnout feels like. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who are digital nomads, are passionate about travel, they love it. it it's, it's a lot like business burnout where it's like, you're passionate about it. You want to do a lot of it. And there's a limit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a point at which you just, you're pushing yourself too hard. Yeah. And, or sorry, it's more like emotional burnout than business burnout, just to clarify. And so finding your ideal travel pace 
and accepting that there may be kind of a, a rhythm or a cadence or seasons to it where, you know, for us, we're kind of learning that we are definitely slow travelers. We, as some people refer to us as slow mads, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we like to go somewhere and stay there for three or four months right? and have a home base in a particular location for three or four months. And then we'll do day trips and, and, you know, little vacate little trips off of that. But that's sustainable for us. And then in between those, we might do a little bit of fast traveling. So we'll do a, a road trip from here to there and we'll visit a whole bunch of places in the course of a week. So, you know, we're actually just coming up on that. I was kind of glad you and I got to have this conversation now because we're leaving. We've currently been in, in South Lake Tahoe, California for the last three months. And we're leaving here literally two and a half days from now. And we will be essentially fast traveling for the next two and a half to three weeks until we land in our next place, which is going to be near Seattle, Washington. Oh, cool. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of zipping around and we're only in this place for two nights and that place for two nights and this place for a week. And we, we can do that for a few weeks at a time, right. but anything more than that. And yep. Burnout is inevitable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think with travel burnout as well, like, I mean, I, I did live outside of the country for 12 years. And so I was in places most frequently where I had to speak a different language because mm-hmm. people were not speaking English around me yeah. as frequently as they might in some other places. I didn't, I didn't do Ireland. I didn't have that, um, that experience where I could go somewhere new and still be speaking my language. I spent sure. time in Poland and in the Czech Republic. Uh, yeah. I think when people start the digital nomad lifestyle, sometimes they don't realize how much extra effort yes. things are going to take because you don't have your natural habits and abilities in place. Yeah, the cultural differences. All of it. Just, you yeah. know, just not being able to eat the food you're used to. Exactly. And the grocery stores don't look the same or yeah. have the same things. Those, all of that feeds into it as well. I completely. Yeah. It's costly. It's very costly energetically. And people don't, I think people sometimes don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, so th- this is where like travel burnout and emotional burnout kind of feed each other yeah. and, and feed off of each other because- right. Travel burnout feeds emotional burnout and emotional yeah. burnout can feed travel burnout. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's a matter of comfort zones and cultural distinctions. And, you know, quite literally, if your body's not used to eating this particular kinds of food, it doesn't know necessarily how to get the best fuel from it. Yeah. So people physically become ill because they're just pushing their body to adapt to something that is unusual to it. Yeah. Your gut bacteria needs time to adjust. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's, there's tons of, of research and clarifications around exactly what we're talking about here and, and it's legit. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you don't want to travel the world because there's a beautiful world out there to see. It's about taking that into account when you're, creating your vision and creating your plans. Yeah. When I was starting in Poland, um, I was working full-time at a fertility center and most people that I spoke to did not speak English. And I had only been in the country for about five months when I started. So I was thrown into a situation where I was in a foreign language all day, every day that I didn't really speak. Um, I wasn't, I was fluent after about two years. I was fluent in acupuncture and fertility words in about a year, but it took me another year after that to feel comfortable in sort of normal life. Sure. And I didn't realize during that time how much of my brain power was being used on a day-to-day basis just to be in a different language. I was absolutely exhausted and had a headache nearly every day. Wow. And then I had a day of patients where I had 24 patients that day, I think it was something ridiculous. And I think about 14 of them spoke English Mm -hmm. and I went home and I wasn't tired and I went, Oh, Oh, like it really hit me that the amount of energy that it was costing me just to exist in a different language that I was not fluent in Mm -hmm. was enormous. And it was making me tired in other parts of my life. Yeah. 
and I wasn't able to, to pinpoint really what was happening. I mean, I was working hard, but I was 24. Mm-hmm. Like I was 25, 24, 25 years old. Like I had the energy. I, you know, it just hit me one day that, oh, this is actually really difficult. And, and when I broke down in a store because, you know, the ketchup wasn't next to the pasta sauce and tomato <laughs> things should be next to one another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I realized that I was a little too far off. Yeah. yeah. How's that for a nice yellow flag right there? Yeah, yeah. right. Like the tomato sauce and the ketchup. Goat yeah. cheese was another thing that got me one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a perfect example of which, what we started this whole conversation with of, you know, when you suddenly are noticing that these things that shouldn't have a giant emotional reaction right. attached to them are creating giant emotional reactions for you. Yeah. Yellow flag. Like, yeah. There should be a big yellow flag. This is the universe nudging you, yeah. saying, I think you need some a, a break. Well, and um, I was saying, well, universe, Poland should understand that all the tomato products go together. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it just be nice if everybody else worked the way that we individually in our own minds think it yeah. should be? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wouldn't it be easier? <laughs> And then there's going to be the people who are like, no, of course, the tomato, the, the ketchup needs to be somewhere in the same ballpark as the, the you know, French fries and the potatoes. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 That's where it belongs. <laughs> that is, what I think, a really fun place to round out our conversation. Um, I think that this was great. Good. I'm, I, it's been a pleasure. It's been a delight to chat with you. And I, I hope people got some good insights from our conversation. And I think they will continue to get good insights because there really is so much really good stuff available on your blog and you continue to, to produce things that help people out. And so I will be putting all that stuff, like I said, in the show notes um, and I will be so, so happy to share it. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and and making the effort to really show up and be here. I know you said before we started, you hadn't been feeling really well for the past, uh, you know, little while. So I'm glad that you, that you made the the time to, to be here with me and be present with me. It was really great. Well, it was my pleasure. Hopefully, uh, you know, the little bit of frogginess left in my voice wasn't wasn't too impactful on people understanding what we're talking about. But uh, but yeah, it's it's been a joy. And yeah, I, I hope people will come find me at uh, chosencourse.com. I hope they will too. Thank you so much. And I hope to be able to talk to you soon. Fantastic, Caitlin. My okay. pleasure. Bye. All right, everybody, that is wrapping up the episode with Erin Elizabeth Wells of The Chosen Course. Um, This was really packed with information. I think we probably could have easily spoken for another hour because the conversation was flowing so well. I have so many notes um, that I took that that we didn't even get to uh, because, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. But I just really loved it. And if this was powerful for you, please take the time to share it with other people that might find it useful. I will appreciate it, as will Erin. And we will talk to you soon.